I am blessed to be here. And my whole team that came up tonight from Birmingham, and uh, I was standing in the back back there, and I began to realize what I'm about to share with you really is prophetic over your lives. Because I honestly believe, in fact, I was standing in Singapore, and every time I go to Singapore and I go to do their national youth conference and all that stuff, whenever I'm standing there, uh, last time I was there, I was out jogging. And now when I jog, it's like I run 10 feet and I sit down for about 10 minutes because I don't want to overdo it. And, but I love to go to the shoreline because it's, it's a port city to the world. And all these massive ships. And so I'll leave my hotel room and go down there. And it's, it's a, about 93 degrees and 150 degrees or 150 percent humidity. And so it's just you, you feel like you're working out because you're sweating. And but I had said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you always talk to me when I'm here in Singapore. You always speak to me. You always just share something with me. And last year when I was there, I, I was worshiping and I said, Lord, I, I don't want to. Uh, I, I was just worshiping and out running. And I said, Lord, I want to finish the race first. And he said, son, I'm not looking for those who can finish the race first. I'm looking for those that can finish with a limp called brokenness. And so I, I was expecting something because every time over all these years I've gone there, God spoke to me. I mean, he just speaks to me and I'm getting ready to write the new book for Charisma. And, um, uh, the, and that's why I was in Asia because of the book tour. And, but I said, Lord, just talk to me. And all he said to me was one word, consecrate. And I began to worship, and I began to cry out to him, and he said, I'm looking for a separate generation. A generation doesn't have to act like the world to win the world. A generation that doesn't buy into drinking, and a generation, I, I tweeted it a couple weeks ago, it was kind of nerdy, but uh, uh, when you get 40, you can be a nerd, and, and, uh, and, and I, I, tweeted, um, I tweeted, you know, I, I'm so tired of people make, trying to make me feel religious because I don't drink alcohol. And, uh-oh, here we go, Pat. You're going to get on that? Yeah. Because why would I open the door? And I've told my friends in Australia and all the places I go speak and, uh, at Hillsong or Planet Shakers because it's okay in different cultures. And I go, but why would I open the door to that, to something that destroyed my family? And I said, I'd rather have, uh, because I don't drink doesn't make me religious. I'd just rather have a cup of Jesus and an empty bar tab and and I know it sounds almost nerdy. It almost sounds weird. It's like, oh, that was nerdy. No, it's really where I'm at. And God says, I'm looking for the consecrated. The ones that will say, you know what? This is off limits till I get married. The ones that will stand firm. But if you'll let me tonight, because I'll just, I'll just jabber on. And part of that, if, if I go long, it's, it's, it's um, the jet lag. And, uh, but there's all kinds of stuff on our table. You can check it out af afterward. The series that goes with the new book, Why Is God So Mad at Me? The Taken series. Literally, this is for university students. And how to defend your faith uh, in the area of evolution, humanism, homosexuality and abortion, uh, world religions, all that kind of stuff. My wife's new series, Aftermath. All, all that stuff's back there. And so you can check all that out. And uh, can I get into God's Word? Is that all right if I just go into And if you haven't got the new book, please get it. It's sweeping the world right now. It's blowing our minds what God is doing with it. At, from Barnes & Noble to Family Christian to all those places. But I, I must share a new word tonight. Now, it's, it's not something you can listen to on our podcast. You can't buy it because it's, it's not by, back there. Let me get my guys to go ahead and, and move that. Go ahead if you would and, and take that somewhere. But Joey, I do want to say to you, you have done a fantastic job leading Chi Alpha. And we love you, and we are so blessed by you. 
I began to pray about this, and, and I don't take any opportunity I get to speak lightly. Uh, I, I found out that if God will, will, will trust you to just be able to get up and be his mouthpiece, my wife shared that on a conference call with a whole lot of people today that we do for young leaders around America, and she said that she learned that, that she had no right to even really be nervous because she was speaking for the king. Are you with me? But you know what I believe with all my heart? I believe there's a new face of royalty that God is raising up. And so he gave me this word, and it started out as just for our students. So I I must share something with you, simply titled The New Face of Royalty. Who God is raising up right now. Because it's not the ones that we always thought. He's raising up the oops and the accidents and the nobodies and and the ones that nobody thought could, could possibly be raised up. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, but look at 2 Samuel chapter 9. I love the life of David. You know, when I get to heaven, I I can't wait to see my sister. I can't wait to see my grandfather, my grandmother. But there's some Bible characters that I really want to hang out with. I mean, of course, Jesus. I just I just want to run and and fall down. But you know who I want to hang out with? I want to I want to hang out with Simon Peter because he was stupid. He was always putting his foot in his mouth, always just until he had an upper room experience. I want to hang out with David because that brother knew how to worship. I mean, I just, I love David because David was a nobody. In fact, he was the seventh son of Jesse. No, 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 Pat, he was the eighth son. No, study Chronicles because you need to understand David was actually the, the, the uh, seventh son, but he got ignored and it made him the eighth, which means new beginnings. And, and so, uh, you know what I found out? That until you've been hidden, you're really not going to get anointed. And I love the life of David because every time he got anointed, which was three times he got in a fight, don't ask God for the anointing if you're not ready to do battle. And what I love about David is David had the ability to remember where he came from. I'm telling you, I believe this with all my heart, and I I wrote it in my book. I think God is so sick of celebrity Christians. A week and a half ago, I was in L.A., and I had to do Christian television because of the whole book tour thing. And, and I, I, at one point over the last three weeks, I said to my wife, I said, you know, all the years I wanted all of that, once you kind of get it, you don't really want it. Because that's not who God's using. You know who God's using? He's using a little pastor friend of mine that I met, that I got to see again from Sri Lanka. When I was in Singapore, he happened to be there, had brought it. A whole bunch of students there. And what you don't know about Sean, and you will never know Sean, Sean won't go down in history books, but I have a purple tie that, that he gave to me that he had wore when 46 of his students were washed away in a tsunami and he never found their bodies, and he wore it to every one of them's funeral. And the funeral was an empty box. Teenagers. And Sean's one of my heroes, and he's one of my, my good friends, and I couldn't believe it. I'm in the middle of preaching in Singapore, and I turn around, and he's sitting there, and I had to just stop because it took my breath because here's a guy that knows what it's like to preach 46 funerals because a tsunami, a wave just took him away. Those are the people God's using right now. i got to get into this. I'm talking to people that are called to change the world. 
And so if you'll let me, I'm going to do just a little, because I believe, honestly, in front of me are the ones that are going to change culture and change the world and transform. Are you getting this so far? This is who God's raising up, the oops and the accidents, the nobodies, the ones that have. In fact, I, I, I shared this in my book, that, that the scars on earth are testimonies in heaven, and without pain, it's impossible to have compassion. And what you've been through is a great indication of who you're called to. So let me talk about royalty, the, 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 the new face of royalty, what I believe God is using. Look what it says right here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? Now, there's a big difference in David and Saul. You know that, right? I mean, you understand that Saul means well-known, of great stature. David means hidden. That's what his name means. The greater the anointing, the greater the isolation. Saul was anointed with, with a flask, which is man-made. But David was anointed with a horn, which is God-made. Saul was anointed with a flask because God knew it was short-term, but David would be a lineage that leads till today. Are you with me? Is there anybody left of my nemesis, the house of my enemy, to whom I can show kindness for my best friend's sake? And I told you, I, I found a verse in the Message Bible that I just love, and I use it all the time. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. This is who God's raising up, because this is a really cool verse. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest or the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obviously that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks? and exploits and abuses. He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. I love it. I love it when God raises up somebody and everybody goes, no way. And God screams, Yahweh. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. And uh, I love it. I love it when he raises up the ones that everybody says, are you serious? There's no way. But that's who God uses because when he raises them up and they kill the giants, and I love David's life because David knew how to do battle. He knew how to kill a lion and a bear. You know what the lion is? It's the thing that, that, that pounces on you. And it only, it, it, it's be sober, be diligent for the devil. Your adversary seeks to pounce on you like a roaring lion. But know this, brothers and sisters, all over the world are going through what you're going through. It's First Peter 5, 8. But then, so we know David killed the lion, then he killed the bear. You know what the bear is? It's the thing that hibernates in your life and only comes out when it's hungry. And the only way to defeat it is to play dead. And once you kill the lion and the bear, then you get to fight the Goliath. But the problem is most of us will never face giants because we never conquer the bear. We try to wrestle with it, and it's going to win. It's what comes out when it's hungry, after it's hibernated for a while. But I, I, I love the life of David. Now watch this, because I'm going to get into this right now. And, and what you got to realize is, as I move into this, I have learned with the call of God and the pursuit of God has to come a new level of commitment. If you really ever want to change things around you. In fact, in fact, it's Matthew 25. It says, it says that, that we have a promise that uh, in verse 51, it says we have a promise of Matthew 25. It says that he's going to say well done. That word well done is actually one term there in, in the Greek. It's Y-O-O, -O, and it means you're my child. You're my son. 
A minute ago, on the way here, I was talking to my, my son. Nate is, is uh, a youth pastor at, at Trinity Church in Dallas, and he went down to Dallas on, on football scholarship, and then he just got married, and, and he and Adrian uh, took over as youth pastors at an incredible church there called Trinity Church with a pastor named Jim Hennessy. And, and, and we were on the phone, and we were talking about his altar call last night and what God did, and hundreds of kids came to the altar. But I love to be able to say to him, I'm just proud of you. 21 years old, rocking it doing his first youth convention and youth camps this summer and all this other stuff. And, and I, just, I just love telling him I'm proud of him. And there's something that changes in the atmosphere when you hear your dad say, I'm proud of you. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Because you're not going to be looking over your shoulder to see if people know your name. You're not really going to be able to walk around and say what, how big the group was or, or that you were a part of and the ministry and whose name and all that kind of junk. But, but I, I, in fact, bring Nate's picture up. I don't even know if you have it there. But, but, but see, I, you just got to understand there's something so powerful when I get to heaven of being able to just look around and hear Jesus say, Pat, you did good. Doesn't matter who knows your name. Doesn't matter how many followers you got on Twitter. Because, man, say something controversial and you lose 5,000 one day. Did it. And, uh, yeah, I did it. It was weird. It was like, boom, what happened? And I'm like, well, there you go. Just speak truth. It'll get you in trouble. You know, will get, uh, truth will get you crucified. Just ask Jesus. See, I'm going to talk to you like you're going into ministry today. Can I do that? Because I really feel when I was standing here looking around, I looked at different people, and I went, Call to God. I started looking around the room, and I thought, okay, marketplace anointing. Okay, watch, watch, watch. Because, because what I've learned is sometimes those going into ministry have a different concept of success. It's numbers. It's, it's crowd size and who you know and what denomination and how much money you make and all of that is just kind of Paul called it dung but in the south we just call it crap and and uh, but look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 don't fool yourself don't think that you can be wise merely by being up to date with the times be God's fool that's the path to true wisdom what the world calls smart God calls stupid it's written in Scripture, he exposes the chicanery of the sheik. The, the master sees through the smoke screens of, of all the know-it-alls. I love this right here because it, it kind of blows my mind. And so understand, yet for me, I, I think it's so different. In fact, let me just jump off that, and I'm going to come back to it for just a second. I have learned that in ministry... There are three levels of friendship that you're going to have for the rest of your life. What are those three levels? And, and a friend of mine named Lloyd Ziegler and I were spending some time together a few weeks ago. He's the founder of Master's Commission. He came through Birmingham, and we just ate together, and, and we were talking about the levels of friendships. And I'm telling you this for a reason, and I'll bring it back together in just a second, so trust me. But there's three levels that you will have around you in ministry, and the first level is a confidant. What's a confidant? That's, that's, that's somebody uh, that I trust deeply, and they trust me deeply, and and, you know, we don't have to please each other every day, and we can go six months without talking, but we're still close. Are you with me? I have friends like that, that I, I, I can be around Reinhard Bonnke, and I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's the greatest missionary uh, of today. He's 
uh, an AG missionary, but he literally has led millions to Christ. But I can be with Reinhardt secretly in a meeting. We'd be sitting in a car, and I will cry for hours because I trust him, and he believes in me, and he'll tell me. He'll start prophesying things over me. And then the second group is that's always going to be around you in ministry, and there's a reason why I'm sharing this because I'm about to show you covenant relationship is constituents. You know who they are? They, they kind of believe in the dream, but not really in you. Yeah, they're just... Uh, if if a bigger guy comes along, they'll kind of they, they'll 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 jump they'll jump your dream to go to his dream. They're just kind of a part of what you're doing. They're the scenery. They're the wallpaper. They they can't dream their own dream, so they got to be a part of your dream. You need them though. You need all three levels that I'm about to share with you. But then there's the third level. Those are Conrads. Who are who are Conrads? Uh, they believe in what you're against. They love to fight. And when they're done with your war, they move to the next person's war. They're the ones that if you're against something and they agree with that, they'll, they're a Conrad in arms. They're an ally. They'll, they're, they'll, they'll, they'll help you fight tyranny. They will, they will fight. And, but really, the ones that are with you for the rest of the life, and I need you to understand because this group kind of comes down like this. It, it, you know, confidence is a small group. It really is a small group. Constituents, they, that gets a little bit bigger now. Allies and Conrads, that's all of us. We're kind of in this thing. We're all fighting Satan together. But a confidant is somebody different. Now, there's a reason why I shared that with you, because I'm going to come back to it in a second. And again, this is a brand new message, so I don't know which route it's going to go, but I'm talking about the new face of royalty. But now, now let me give you three more, three more things. Let me give you the three guidelines for the called. How many of you believe you're called in here? Because many are called, but few are chosen. Not all of us will stick with this thing. Three guidelines for the called, and there's a reason why I'm sharing this, because I'm about to describe David's life, because he understood confidants, and he understood the call. What do you mean? Three guidelines for the called. You should write this down, and again, this is not a youth convention message. I wouldn't preach this on a Sunday morning, but three guidelines for the called. Those must called always remember who rescued them first. you're really called, you know where you came from. Look at Psalms 107. Bring that up for me. It says, some of you are locked in a dark cell, cruelly confined behind bars, punished for defying God's word, for turning your back on the high God's counsel, a hard sentence, and your heart's so heavy, and not a soul inside to help. Then you called out to God in your desperate condition. He got you out in the nick of time. He led you out of, out of your dark, dark cell, broke open the jail, and led you out. So thank God for his marvelous love, for his miracle mercy to the children he loves, a shattered he shattered the heavy jailhouse doors, and he snapped the prison bars like matchsticks. I mean, I know who rescued me. Are you with me? Just three, three guidelines for the call. And there's a reason why I'm doing this, because I haven't wrote this out enough to make it really kind of turn into a sermon yet, and that's not my goal with it. So three guidelines for the call. I've already given you three guidelines for friendship, and then we're going to get into the new face of royalty. But if you'll get these two simple little teachings it will bring the message together. Now, n number two, number two, it, it's very simple. Those called must have an attitude of gratitude. Somebody, show me somebody that knows how to be thankful, and I'll show you somebody that can change the world. 
Because thankfulness is a sign you never did it on your own. It's people like Shane I want to stand behind in heaven when I see the thousands walk up to him and say, thank you. But, 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 but look at this verse. Look what Hebrews says about this because this is, I, I've just learned if you want the qualifications for the call, you better remember who rescued you and you better keep an attitude of thankfulness because when you're not thankful, you become arrogant. You begin to think it's you. Look what it says in Hebrews 12. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. For God is not an an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn, and he won't quit until it's all clean. God himself is a consuming fire. And then these are just the three attitudes that you have to have if you're called. I gave you the three rules of friendship. Because those who are called better remember where they came from. You didn't just arrive. You don't just get somewhere. There were people who helped you, people who walked beside you, people who pushed you, people who held you up. I shared on a conference call today that when I was writing my book, Why Is God So Mad At Me? I, I didn't know that I'd ever write a book, and now I've got to write more. And and But I never knew how to do anything like that. I wasn't uh, very good good at English down in college and 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 but when I would write the book I would be upstairs typing away and and they gave me nine months to write it my my publisher did and so I waited the last six weeks much the way I did college and there's no reason to rush things (laughs) and so suddenly I had to disappear into my prayer room upstairs for six solid weeks and hide and my daughter would slide notes under the door Abby, do you have a picture of Abby? Bring Abby up because you're going to hear me talk about her. She's, this is my little gift from heaven. And, in fact, some little boy asked her for her cell phone the other day, and I told her to tell that little boy we're going to have his family killed. Now, watch. I know that's weird, but you've got to stand your ground. And um, she's from China. Her first five American words are, my daddy's got a gun. Amen. Let's move on because... It's not popular to talk about guns right now. <laughs> and so it's an AR-15. What? And so watch. I just love to make people mad. <laughs> but those who called, they know where they came from. And I would write the book. And, and you better remember who pushes you. And I would come downstairs. and my, I shared this on the conference call to all those pastors today. And I said, and, and I would be writing. And I'd come down with my laptop in my hand. And, and, and I'd look at my wife. And I'd say, nobody's going to read this. And she'd say, get back up there. You got a word from God for a generation. He's not mad at him. He's mad about him. So you better remember where you came from. You didn't just get here. You didn't just arrive. You're not an overnight success, but you're, you're a God project. Somebody he's raising up. And, and, and Psalms 34, verse 6, when I was desperate, I called out, and God got me out of a tight spot. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Somebody give God a praise offering right now because, see, I just gave you two really simple teachings. (laughs) 
And so what I've learned is you got to always remember that we must glance over our shoulder at our past so that you can recognize your past and those you meet in your future. You should always be glancing over at who you used to be so you can recognize who you can heal in front of you. You never get past the past. And what you got to understand is, in other words, when you live your, your life with your, with, with your finger on the pulse of man and the pulse of God, it, it keeps you from thinking you're more. And there's a reason why I'm sharing. I shared about friendships. I shared about the call. And I'm bringing it all together because you must understand God trusts you to heal the forgotten. And that's where I'm going tonight for a few minutes. God trusts you to heal those that have been forgotten. What do you mean, Pat? There's one thing that drives the called. And it's the sound of the hurting. It's the sound of the weary. It's the sound of the exhausted. Those that have walked through some things. If there's somebody that says to you they're called and yet they don't hear the voices of the hurting I challenge their calling. Because if it's about position or any of that other stuff, it won't do it. And amazingly, that is exactly what David was like. Look what it says. Go ahead and start that for me. In Psalm 78. The Bible says, Then he chose David his servant, handpicked him from the work in the sheep pens. One day he was caring for the ewes and their lambs, and the next day God had him shepherding Jacob, his people Israel, his prized possession. His good heart made him a good shepherd. He guided the people wisely and well. And so tonight I've got to talk for just a couple of minutes about the new face of royalty. And what I love about David is he always remember where he came from. He always understood he did not just arrive. He understood the position is never more powerful than the blessing. And after all, David was a nobody. God raised him up. Yet when he finally became king, he had enough sensitivity in his spirit, man. As he's sitting now in the throne, he's run for 20 years. He's lived in a doulum, which means justice for the people. He's run from a mad king. God raises him up, and all of a sudden, here's David. Remember, I taught you about friendship for at first, and I taught you about the anointing and what it means to be called, and now I'm bringing it all together with a man by the name of David. I bet David spent most of his days going, dude, how did I get here? He went from living in a field Psalm 69 says that he didn't even know his mother. His brothers hated him. And God raises this kid up. All because he knew how to kill the lion and the bear. All because he knew how to throw the rock. He knew how to be a slingshot for God. So suddenly David gets into the palace. Oh, it's getting good. Watch. He's in the palace. This is a new face of royalty. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David said, Hey, I know I'm here and I'm king and all that kind of stuff. I finally arrived. But is there anybody left that I need to bless? Anybody that I can show kindness for confidant's sake? Not Conrad. 
is there anybody around that I can go find that was tied to my best friend? Somebody that believed in me? Somebody that thought my dreams were cool? Is there anybody around I can show kindness for confidant's sake? For true friendship's sake? Now that is sign of, that's a sign of somebody who understands where they came from. Because you got to understand. I've learned that when you get really blessed, you're never stingy. Because blessed people are givers. I mean, I, I live my life looking for somebody I can give something to. My wife said to me last night, we were talking about, about blessing. And I'm just like, I just want to give, give, give. Because I've learned that, that what I have is not mine. And, and I've learned that I didn't come by it. And is there anyone left that I can? David had to be a pretty big person because he knew anybody from the house of Saul would have been the rightful heir to the throne. You're still following me, right? He says, is there anybody left of the ex-king? Not because of the ex-king, but because of my friend. I want to bless somebody. I want to I raise up somebody. And his servant suddenly says, well, yes, sir, there's a child who was dropped. What? The new face of royalty. Did you know tonight before you even got here, God had a table prepared for you? That he's been waiting to raise you up. And I, I cannot believe that Pastor Joey got up and, and shared about that story from Jimmy Durante and the two guys that clapped together, but they were both missing arms because it really tied into deeply what I was about to share. And let me take you back to a tragic day. A day when a would-be prince would lose everything. He not only lost the throne, but he lost his chair. He, in fact, he didn't just lose the palace, but he would lose his family. He didn't just lose his standing, but he would lose his ability to stand. He didn't just lose his family. He, he lost his dad and his grandfather in one afternoon. And yet, in the midst of his quiet life and his sheltered and hidden life, he gained royalty from the place he least expected it. And look what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 4. It so happened that Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son who was maimed in both feet. Here's how it goes. Word gets back. I don't know if you've gotten to watch the Bible on the History Channel, but it's pretty awesome. In fact, it showed this happening in a really cool way because we, we DVR it and we watch it usually on like Monday or Tuesday or after we watch Duck Dynasty. Amen. I mean, you got to watch Duck Dynasty. And, and uh, in fact, I got a picture with him holding my book. I shouted. But I love this story, this story, because it's pretty incredible because they are surrounded by the enemy. Saul, God is done with him. He's played charades with the anointing. He said to, to the prophet, hey, Samuel, just come and stand with me so nobody will know God's done with me because he had a lying spirit. He had all these issues in his life. But his son was right beside him. And Jonathan, uh, he dies as well right there. And word gets back. Word spreads. Word spreads that the king and his son is dead. And all of a sudden, they're all sitting in the palace. Word gets to the nurse. 
And the five-year-old boy is sitting on her lap in a safe place. And suddenly, she gets so scared for herself that she jumps up and takes off running. And the boy goes flying across the room and his spine cracks. His feet turn in. And his nurse picked him up and ran, but in her hurry to get away, she fell and the boy was maimed and his name was Mephibosheth. Now watch, because God doesn't forget you. You may seem forgotten. Look what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for my confidant's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba or Ziba, your servant? He replied, then the, the, the king asked, is there, is there no one still left for the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Now listen, you must remember that Jonathan and David were best friends. They were confidants. They walked together. In fact, they had made a covenant to each other. Listen, we don't really get covenant in this generation. We understand contract because I'll be your friend until you do this and and you be my friend until I do that. And, and if you do this for me, I'll do that. And, but covenant, covenant. I was telling a friend on the, uh, on, on the drive up here that called me that's walking through something, a, a missionary. I said that covenant is, if we're going to get real, I said this to him on the phone, if we're going to get real, that means there might be a little bit of blood when I tell you the truth because that's covenant. You can't have covenant without blood. And my friend said to me, I need you to be real with me about this. Or, or last night, the pastor that called me and said, hey, this is going on in my marriage. I was driving home from my daughter's gymnastics. He texted me and he said, I got to talk to somebody. He pastors a large Spanish church in, in Texas. And he said, I said this to my wife and I said, you were stupid. How could you say that to her? That's covenant. Covenant's honesty, but I'm still going to love you. And we're going to figure out how to fix this, but that was dumb. There's still one left. There's the son of Jonathan. Now watch, now watch, because let me interrupt for a second and just show you covenant. Look what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Let's go back a little bit, and you'll understand why David would ask, is there anybody left of my best friend's house? Because Jonathan said, go in peace. And how many of you understand? I said this today on our conference call. Peace is not a feeling. It's a place you live. Jesus constantly said, peace be unto you. Paul constantly said, peace be unto you. In other words, you are not called to live according to your emotions. You're called to live in a place that God surrounds you. That's called peace. No matter what you're going through. I was on a flight the other night, an all-night flight from Singapore, and we hit some, it's, it's, it's kind of the tropical season in Asia right now. So we spent about seven hours in unbelievable turbulence. This massive plane. And I, I was getting really weird, panicky. You know what I said to the Lord? I said, okay, I always say peace is not a feeling, that it's a place you live. I need you to surround me with peace. Let me tell you, honest to goodness, what happened. I'm sitting on the flight. This is three nights ago, two nights ago, three nights ago. And all of a sudden, it's like this presence of God came around me. And I fell asleep for six and a half hours. Because peace, watch, 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 watch. I got to hurry, I got to hurry. Look what he says right here. He says, go in peace. The two of us have vowed friendship in God's name, saying God will be the bond between me and you and between my children and your children forever. Are you getting that so far? This was a covenant that was made. 
Now watch covenant being restored because God doesn't forget covenant. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 4. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Emil in Lodabar. Do you know what Lodabar means? The place of silence. Have you ever been dropped and you couldn't talk about it? Have you ever been through something so strong that you couldn't even speak words about it? When I lost my sister, I, I tell the story that I would stand up and preach to thousands. And I'll never forget, I was at Hillsong Church in Australia six months after she died. And I walked out on the balcony in, in Sydney, Australia, right there in the harbor. You could see the opera house. If you've watched Nemo, you know Wallaby Way is right there. I don't know if it is, but I think it is. I look for Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. And I stood on the balcony. Because I hadn't felt God in six months since I lost my sister. And all of a sudden, I stood on the balcony of, of, of this, the Western Hotel. And here I just preached and saw thousands touch, but I didn't feel anything. And all of a sudden, I just said, where are you? Where'd you go, God? I fell on my knees and began to weep. Because for six months, I could not talk. Oh, I could put the show on and do the whole churchy thing and look and preach and do all that. But I didn't write a new sermon for six months. I didn't write anything for six months because I couldn't feel God. Have you ever been there? It's called Lodabar, the place of quietness or the place of the tomb. Understand, it also means garbage dump. He's at the house of Makir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Emil. And the boy was living in no communication. There's four reasons that God, or five reasons that God will put you alone for a season. Because the greater the anointing, the greater the isolation. So if some of you, you went on spring break, but you felt like you were all by yourself. And you don't understand that loneliness, Jesus pray, played, uh, excuse me, Jesus prayed in the quiet places or the lonely places. Do you know why Jesus prayed in the lonely places? Study that term in the Greek and it literally means property waiting to be cultivated by a shepherd. Jesus prayed where churches were supposed to be planted. There's five reasons for being alone. Number one, to develop your calling. Number two, to restart your fire. Number three, to remove that which you've depended on and kept you from grasping the next thing. Number four, to restore a burden. The word burden in the Greek is 40 on, and it means faults of the conscience which oppress your soul. It's my burden that keeps me awake at night. It's my burden that makes me travel 200,000 miles a year. It's my burden that caused my wife and I to fly all the way to China and rescue our daughter. See, you've got to get what I'm talking about. What do you mean? It's the burden that pushes you. And the other reason that God will put you in a place of loneliness many times to destroy the bondage that has held you. And then all of a sudden, watch this, I'm about done. Royalty's coming. Yay. I threw a yay on I thought yay would be yay. Yay. You think it's silly when I was writing it. It sounded cool, but not anymore. Now watch. And David gets ready for him to come. Can you see this? You know what it's like to meet somebody that really should be where you're at? Oh, let me put it down like this. One time I met this guy that liked my wife, but I got her. You know what I'm saying? 
That's when you got, I mean, you got to pull the boobies up. You got you to put the chest out. I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to, boobies is not the right word. Let's move on. <laughs> Traveling a lot. <laughs> and, and for, at this age, it becomes boobies, not chest. And, uh, and I mean, you walk up to meet somebody that should have married your wife, but you got her. And Karen and I were at this thing, and there's this guy come walking up. He's ugly. Good Lord, he's ugly. And, but. I, he's like wishing he could have married my wife, but I walk up to him, and that's when you just, you don't shake normal. I mean, you don't like, hey, buddy. No, no, it's like, what's up? What's up, dude? What's up? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> don't tell Karen I did that. Now watch. But you go to shake his hand, and it's not a normal handshake. It's like, you want to do some of this? Watch it. It's like, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't even try. It's like, I mean, there's an anger God on me. Now watch. Can you imagine, David? The prince is coming. The person that should have his spot. I mean, I bet they cleaned the palace spotless. I mean, I bet he dressed up. He was so excited to get to meet the guy that should be sitting where he's sitting. king's grandchild is coming and Saul and Jonathan I mean man they were beast of men Saul was a head taller than everybody else just study first Samuel chapter 10 that's why he was picked out of the baggage he never really got rid of his baggage but but he he's a head taller than everybody else I mean they look like prom kings they were the quarterback this was a studly looking family and classes recognizable and so he was expecting a certain thing and David was ready for the best and he's ready and the doorbell rings don't answer it too quickly because then you look awkward I mean don't have kids by the way if you don't want to answer the door quickly because they're going to answer it even if you don't want them to no 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 baby wait a minute you get please don't no all of a sudden they answer the door and you're trying to be cool all of a sudden the doorbell rings Oh, I got to close. I said that. I totally lied to you just then. Now watch. You know what I've learned? Miracles, they come through doors or come through windows, but blessings come through doors. So he answers the door. He didn't want to look anxious. His heart was racing. I'm about to meet the, really the guy that should be sitting in my spot. He's still a rightful heir to the throne. That's what made this weird. He was still the heir to Saul's kingdom. and He's ready to meet this incredible warrior, but and in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And look at this. Watch, watch, watch. The doors open. Ziba is standing there holding this broken, crippled man that got dropped in his infancy. He was supposed to be great. He was supposed to be a warrior. He was supposed to be incredible. And all of a sudden, David said, Mephibosheth, have you ever had somebody look at you and expect you to be something, but you couldn't quite make it? Is that you, Mephibosheth? Your servant, he replied, Ziba's holding a trembling, broken, tattered, bruised, wounded bag of flesh, and he falls to the floor, a wounded soldier. And David said, are you him? Have you ever been disappointed by what you expected? We're so good at 
in church of putting on our parades and our charades and our mask and looking like one thing and acting like another. And, and I'm reminded of a story I heard about this guy one time that he was a big bodybuilder. He's a gym rat. All he did was stay in the gym, just always working out. But sooner or later, he just started running out of money. I mean, you can't make a living just working out. And so he's reading in the paper looking for a job. And all of a sudden, it says, local zoo hiring. So this guy's a big muscle guy. And he shows up at the zookeeper, looks at him and says, hey, we... You're perfect. And the guy says, for what? He said, well, listen, um, we're a state-funded zoo, and our gorilla died. Our gorilla died last week. And so we need you to put on a, a gorilla outfit. Just come out twice a day. You're strong. Swing from the rope. Beat your chest. You can do this. The guy's going, all right, I can do this. This is awesome. This is incredible. So he puts on the outfit, and man, it's, he gets out, and the kids are all at the zoo, and he's jumping around and swinging from the tire, and, and they're throwing him bananas and, and, and marshmallows, and he's eating all this stuff, and he's beating his chest, and he's getting hotter and hotter in his suit, and he's swinging back and forth, and, and, and finally he, 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 he's starting to get a little dizzy, and he thinks, if I could just get up to that branch over there, I'm just going to swing from the tire swing. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to throw up, and I'm going to eat it, and uh, that's what the guy, that's what the, the ape does in Birmingham Zoo. We love to watch, and, and so he, he goes to swing, and he misses the branch, goes over the wall, and lands in the lion's den. And he starts screaming, help! Help! And all of a sudden, the lion looked up and said, shut up, dude, or we're both going to lose our jobs. <laughs> that was stupid, wasn't it? But isn't that funny? We... We fall in a pit and we expect somebody to be real, but they're just as fake as us. Who is this Mephibosheth? Who is this would-be king? Who is this? What happened to you? And the Bible says as a child lying on the chest of his nurse in the arms of someone he should have been able to trust. She panicked. In her desire to protect herself, she dropped And this is what I want to say as, as, I, as I get ready to close. Royalty sometimes comes broken. He was in his genesis. She dropped him. He didn't get up. I wonder if she stood over and said, Get up! Your father, your grandfather's dead. Get up! looks at her as five years old and his legs beginning to turn in because no blood is now flowing to the feet and he's I can't you dropped me is there anybody in here that knows what it's like to be dropped maybe it's somebody you dated maybe somebody you, you thought man they were they're perfect and then they talked you into this and 2 Corinthians 6 says, be, be careful who you're yoked to, who you're bonded together with, who you make covenant with. And, and yet they, they maybe after a while they moved on and you were conquered and they dropped you. And now for some reason, 
God's person might come along for your future, but you really can't trust them because what if they're just like her or just like him and, and you got dropped in your infancy and in your early years of learning to love and, and somebody crushed you and, and, and listen, we, we all come from dysfunctional situations and relationships and families and, and he was five years old and his world stopped. He was only five years old he, and, and, and I, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, listen, I know I, I should look like I should be able to run with the rest of you, but you don't understand I got dropped. I know I look like I got it all together, but I got dropped. I, I know you think I'm supposed to be great and I'm supposed to be on the worship team or I'm supposed to lead this movement at, at Alabama, but I got dropped and nobody knows because I'm not going to tell you about it but I've come to tell you something wounded royalty is still royalty wounded royalty is still royalty in fact I love the, the old old picture that was depicted of David helping Mephibosheth this is an old old picture and from, from many many years ago I think it, it's in Westminster Abbey and it's his old picture and look what it says in 2 Samuel 9 verse 7 don't be afraid David said to him for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father my confidant I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, my enemy. And you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth, verse 8, bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? You know somebody's been wounded when you try to bless them and they tell you how bad they are. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant? And the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and remember what I told you about when you really know when you're anointed and when you're called? Is you remember where you came from and you remember who helped you. It means you don't hold grudges. Watch. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. You know what I've learned? If you're willing to walk beside somebody, your house will get blessed too. Do you understand? We are a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9. Holy nation. Called out of darkness. And this is it. I'm done. Get ready, Hudson. Get ready to come help me. See, Hudson, his dad believed in me when nobody believed in me. So to get to be able to do ministry with him is a pretty big deal for me. Come into the king's dining room. Because look what the Bible says. And in 2 Samuel 9, verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's son. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's kids. And 
and Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all them members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And do, do you have the definition anywhere of Mephibosheth, what his name means? Can you just, I don't know if you, I don't even think I mentioned it, but exterminator or the shame. His name means one who kills or one who's been shamed. Because when hurting people hurt people. So when we walk in our shame, we tend to kill everybody around us. But go, go with me quickly. Bring, bring the lights up if you would. I appreciate the theater setting, but it's a little dark. A little awkward. Bring the music down. I'm done. Because it, can you see? Walk into the dining room of the king. Sitting at the table is Amnon. Tamar, the daughter of David. David hasn't messed up yet, so we don't have Bathsheba or Solomon. But you got Absalom sitting here, who's literally a shekel of his hair, a piece of it, or a lock of his hair would sell for 200 shekels. That's how good looking he was. Gorgeous in stature. You come into the king's dining room. But in this chair, smiling as the king brought everyone to supper, was the chair reserved for a wounded prince. Can you see him? Come eat. The king's ready to have supper. In crawling, they tried to help him, but he didn't, he didn't want help. Shuffling across the floor. He prepares a table for me right in front of my enemies. All the other kids are waiting. Is suddenly popping up, dragging himself. Forgetting what is behind me. I'm going to press. What I love about Mephibosheth, my friends, is that with the tablecloth, the Bible says he covers me with a scarlet blanket of love. If you walked in to eat at the king's table, he didn't know that under the tablecloth was brokenness.
and woundedness. But when you sit at the king's table, you look like the rest of the kids. Fill my plate, Lord. Fill my cup, Lord. Because he knows what's under the table. But at his table, in his kingdom, I look like everybody else. You can't see the brokenness underneath. I'm done. You want to change Alabama? Mississippi. Go find the Mephibosheths and help them to the king's table. They may not get here like you. They may have to get drug in. And they may have gotten dropped. But around my king's table, they look like a family. And you may be wondering, can God use me? You can't see under my table, can you? Because there's a lot of broken things. There's a lot of cuts. Because there's a lot of dropping. But when I'm at the table with you, you can just see my breastplate of righteousness, my helmet of salvation. Because God raises up those who've been dropped. <laughs>